ruling elder to bring God's word to us this morning. Thanks, Steve. Good morning. I want to thank Dr. Michael Sally for being a dear friend and Christian brother who has helped me make this share this service with one smoothly in John Mark's absence. Michael has taught Sunday school for many, many years, and he understands how tough this is to stand up in front of you. He's prayed with me and for me for weeks leading up to, to this time together. He also told me he would help in any way. He even offered to play the guitar and lead music this morning. <laughs> and I'm afraid Wanda put a stop to that. Thank you, praise team, for your shared voices. Thank you, Mary Frances and Deborah as each of you bless the hearers with your beautiful rendition of it as well. I'm Jeff Watford, an elder serving you at Trinity Presbyterian Church. Pastor John Mark and family are on vacation this week, and he has asked the elders if one of us would be willing to preach this Sunday, and I drew the short straw. (laughs) Seriously, though, I've prayed about this opportunity to share one of our favorite passages in the Bible, Michael read Psalm 120 this morning, and we're going to be preaching this morning from Psalm 121. But I wanted to share a few things that I've learned over the past three years serving in the role as an active elder. First thing, have you ever noticed how the presidents age over their years in the White House? (laughs) Elders, too, can age, and hair becomes less important. Point two, our acceptance by God is not dependent on our productivity, still less our gifts and achievements. God's requirement is a humble heart, a turning of our eyes to him, a reliance on his mercy and a trust in the Savior he has given for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Praying God's word, singing God's word, reading God's word, and teaching from God's word, just like we are doing this morning, and then sharing with others about what Christ is doing in each of our lives through the Holy Spirit are vital for our well-being. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Third point. Serving as one of your elders in our church family has been an absolute joy, and I consider it one of the great blessings in my life. I've had the fortune of serving with John Mark, Sean, Mark, Steve, Michael, Alan, Woody, our elder emeritus Bob, along with deacons Brian, Daniel, Daniel, and Greg Waters, have helped constantly reinforce the idea that joy means putting Jesus first, then others, and then yourself. Teaching downstairs with Sam and Mary Beth has afforded me many hours of Sunday school teaching. And I've also had my wife Mary, who's up running the computer. I think about the late George Bonnet, Linda Bonnet, Dan and Gresha, Jerry and Leanne, and the late Henry and Harriet Bass, correcting and supporting me for many, many years. 
and we have made lifelong friends through our ministry friends who have served Trinity faithfully. I want to thank my shepherding group families. I want to thank those who served on the pastoral search committee. So this holy worship time is being bathed in prayer by so many friends and family members. So I feel like being able to pray with you and for so many of you, cry with several of you through various family troubles, illnesses, and even several deaths, along with doing life beside each of these families, has led me to the sermon topic today. Where do we look for help? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, as we come together this morning, Lord, to to open your word, please bless the reading and the teaching and the preaching time together, Lord. We ask all this in your name. Amen. So please take your Bibles, and as our custom, if you're able to stand, I want you to turn to Psalm 121. Everyone, please stand. We're going to read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truths upon all our hearts. This is the word of God. Hear it. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Please be seated. There are some takeaways that I hope you will gain from this passage. First one, where does your help come from? Point two, what is a not God source? And three, how much reminding do we actually need? Now, a bit of history, a song of ascents probably refers to pilgrims from various parts of Israel ascending to Jerusalem, which is on a mountain. It's on Mount Zion. And these songs of ascent would have been sung by the pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Now, place yourself in the pilgrim shoes. Notice that the hills are not the source of the psalmist's security. They are not his refuge. The hills are a menace and a source of fear and anxiety. Travel in the mountains can be dangerous. It's a place where one's foot can slip. I have a classmate from the Citadel who for his 50th birthday decided to, he's just going to go hike the entire Appalachian Trail. It took him about five and a half months to complete it. He shared with me that his greatest struggle was not hiking up the steep slopes, His greatest challenge was slipping and falling as he descended the various peaks. And I thought that was an interesting observation. He said, when you're carrying a full backpack, if you lose your balance going downhill, it's a lot further to fall. 
Therefore, as the psalmist lifts his eyes to the hills, they are the source of his fear, not his rescue. We're going to look. He, he asks a vital spiritual question in verse 1. Everyone look at that. From where does my help come? And in verse 2, he's going to provide the monumental answer to that question. And then verses 3 through 8, having provided the answer, begins to preach the answer to himself, just like we need to preach the answer over and over to ourselves. I read several books on this psalm, and I listened to many sermons over and over again. Sam had shared with me several years ago monergism.com. It is a website that's a great resource for Reformed theology sermons, for hymns. You can put anything in, in there and find it. I pulled key points and thoughts from pastors from many of these sermons on Psalm 121. I learned that there are 15 psalms of ascent. Some said the 15 psalms correspond with 15 steps leading up to the temple. I know that's a hard picture to see, but numbers and everything matter to, to those Israelites back in the day. So as I started thinking about this, I had a few questions in my head. I said, is the psalmist thinking these verses in his head, or is he talking to someone, or is he, is he talking out loud? Is he mumbling the question and trembling in fear? Or is he taking a wiser pilgrim who is a stalwart, a rock of faith in the Almighty? Like I said, the vital spiritual question is on the very first verse, where does my help come from? Or another way to ask it, what is the source of my security? It's a very interesting question. Why is a psalmist asking this question in Scripture? To use a military term, shouldn't he be squared away by now? I mean, he's actually published in Scripture. He, he's arrived from an authorship perspective. John Calvin was at first bewildered at this psalm. He said in his commentary, he wrote, he is acting like an unbeliever. Then he began to ponder the question, what then is the meaning of this psalmist asking this question of himself? Can you picture the psalmist as he looks from left to right, up and down, going through the mountains, kind of like Shaggy and Scooby-Doo, looking for a ghost? Calvin's answer is this. The psalmist is reflecting a condition which is common to believers. Even though we know our help comes from the Lord, often when danger surrounds us, we look here, over there, anywhere except God for security. So Calvin surmises that in God's kindness, he has the psalmist ask this very question. So as we continue, where does the psalmist say his security, his help comes from? From where do you derive your source of security? There are only two answers. God or not God. It may sound a bit simplistic, but this is what the psalmist provides us. For him, the answer is God, so the converse would be not God. But what does not God mean for us? Essentially, we seek security in ourselves and through what we do. 
Mary, I'm so guilty as a husband and a man, I want to fix every situation. I want to protect you or protect your feelings. I circle the wagons. I try to be a superhero. I was amazed during the recent tribute and service of President Bush when his son said of his father, Dad was born with just two settings, full throttle and sleep. He wanted to get things done, and he wanted to move on to the next thing. That's what we as guys want to do. Have you ever traveled to Branchville and visited the train depot? In addition to an excellent restaurant, there is a train museum. Mr. John Norris is the 93-year-old owner and historian. When he was a student at the University of Tennessee, he worked the rail lines between Knoxville, Tennessee and Morgantown, West Virginia. He and eight other students were responsible for the telegraph wires being maintained along 400 miles through the mountains. He shared that early on he recognized the importance of paying attention to the smallest details. He operated a railroad hand car. And I don't know if anybody's been there to see it. It, it probably weighs 1,000 pounds. It's really big. He shared one time that he places a penny on each of the wheel axles. So he had four pennies on top of it. And we were there, and a little girl asked why he would do that, and he said that he placed a penny to warn him of vibrations that he could not hear or see. What did vibrations mean? It meant a train was coming. There were no telephones back then. He had to be able to move hundreds of pounds clear of the tracks, or that train would hit him. Also, he had to climb the telegraph poles and fix anything that needed to be fixed by himself. So he learned at an early age that he could not afford to slip because it would potentially be days before any help could get to him. He said he would learn to be a man of prayer and a fan of this psalm at an early age. Other times, we look for stability or help in tough circumstances through external sources, excessive drinking, drugs, pornography, escapism, which is a whole host of possible sermons. And they may not even be taboo things, fitness, vacations with the spouse or whole family, reading, crafts, and hobbies. All of these can become habitual responses to stressful times, but they cannot become our security blankets every time we face adversity. Ultimately, all of these methods fail to provide proper security. The psalmist asks, from where does my help come? Or from where does your help come? Our only true source of help comes from God. Let's look again at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Interestingly, if we jump forward three more psalms, we will find Psalm 124, 8. And it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You have my and you have our. Is, is this slight difference relevant? Remember at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned several fellow members by name. 
Why? Because we need each other. We need one another. God did not send us off into the world by ourselves to, st- to worship, to study, and pray alone. Certainly we need personal time of prayer and study, but he gave us a family and a church family to walk the walk of faith. We need the hour of the Christian life as well as the my of our Christian life. Pastor Legan Duncan states, there is both a corporate and a personal and individual aspect to the Christian life. Those things are not competing. They're not in contradiction. We need them both. Psalm 121 focuses on the pronoun my. This is a personal statement. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Can you honestly answer that question this morning? Can you answer yes? If you are a believer, the ultimate answer to this question should be a resounding yes. The psalmist is telling us on God's behalf, you look up to me and I'll look out for you. I'll watch out for you. I'll shade you. I'll be your helper. I will be your keeper. But we struggle with the first verse of this psalm because of our forgetfulness and need for constant encouragement. Remember, this psalm asks a vital spiritual question in verse 1. Where does my help come from? And he provides a monumental answer to that question in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then with verses 3 through 8, he begins to preach that answer to himself. Just like we need to preach God's providence to ourselves and how we need to encourage fellow believers with that providence. From 3 through 8, we have eight affirmations that the psalmist preaches to himself about God's providence to drive home the truth that God is our source of help and our author of creation. In verse 3, he will guide your steps. He will not let your foot be moved. This psalm has often been recognized as a psalm of prayer and encouragement for members of our military during training and in the heat of battle. At the beginning of December, Woody and I traveled to San Antonio. I don't know if anyone's ever been there, but of course, San Antonio is famous for the Alamo. But today, 2018, the Alamo is in the middle of downtown. There are buildings all around it. It's really interesting. Near the end of the 13-day siege, Colonel William Travis, who was a South Carolinian, famously drew a line in the sand with his sword, challenging the 180 men under his command to stay and fight. Of course, I think we all know how that turned out. There's a monument outside the mission with the names of the fallen. These scripture verses are carved into a monument honoring God's sovereignty. What a great reminder to each of us, even at a time of devastating loss, that God is in control. At the end of verse 3 and throughout verse 4, we are reminded that we worship a holy God who never sleeps. He is 100% present, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever and ever. He is always watching. This is a great contrast between the God of Israel and the gods of Canaan and Mesopotamia and Egypt. Those gods of those civilizations were often depicted as sleeping in various artifacts found through many excavations. 
The word keep or keeper is used in verses 3, 4, 5, 7, and 8. This is so important to the psalmist because he is traveling in a place where his senses are on full alert and he is dealing with his fear and or flight response. The pilgrim wants protection. Often through extreme adversity, our emphasis on the Almighty comes into much sharper and everlasting focus. The psalmist keeps reminding himself and others that God will keep us and guide us and protect us over and over again. Now look closely with me at verses 5 and 6. God is not farming the work of protection out to angels or anyone else. It says the Lord is your keeper. When we say the Lord in all caps, that refers to Yahweh. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. He is rejoicing that the Lord is his keeper and his refreshing shade. Sunstroke and dehydration were critical challenges of traveling in a hot desert environment. Then there are the fears associated with the night. Predators and dipping temperatures could prove fatal. How encouraging for us to have the Lord, Yahweh, right there with us. One of John Mark's favorite scholars that he studies is Derek Kidner. Derek is a, was a British Old Testament scholar who wrote Bible commentaries. At least 10 sermons that I studied mentioned his work on this psalm. These are his comments on verses 7 and 8. He says, To be kept from all evil does not imply a cushioned life, but a well-armed one. The psalm ends with a pledge which could hardly be stronger or more sweeping. Your going out and your coming in is not only a way of saying everything, it draws attention to one's ventures and enterprises in the home which remains one's base. The pilgrimage and return to the dawn and sunset of one's days. But the last line takes good care of this journey. It would be hard to decide which half of it is the more encouraging. The fact that it starts from now or that it runs on not to the end of time, but to time without end. Like God himself, who is my portion forever. So I want to be clear about a few things. This, this psalm is not only about the journey. It's not only about a place. Jerusalem or the temple was not necessarily the goal of the pilgrims. God was the goal, to get to God. A relationship was and is the goal. Much the same as coming to church is not the goal. I hope you're not here today at church to check it off your to-do list. I hope this is not an obligation or a duty. I hope we are here to meet God. This psalm makes it clear that our hope comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Remember that God chose the Israelites to be his people, and he would be their God. 
I am sure his commandment kept ringing in the psalmist's ears. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. We, us, are to reject the idea that all the religions of the world worship the same God. We hear that over and over today. There is only one God who is the maker of heaven and earth. And that God is not Allah, and it is not Buddha, and it is not Brahma or Vishnu. No, there is only one God, and that God is the maker of heaven and earth. That God is the author of grace. All the other religions are based on works. Our God is the only God who would swoop down into this pilgrimage we are on. He is the only God full of love. He's the only God who would have his son die for the sins of the world. The only God who would dare to die for you. He is the only God of hope. As we lift up our eyes to the mountains, we know that our help, our only help, must come from our Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He has a heavenly home waiting for us. We have the hope, the sure hope, that as we walk through this life, there on the eternal horizon is heaven. And that should change everything. A long life's journey, we too can recite this psalm and know that no harm will come upon us. It's not that bad things will never happen to good people. Bad things happen all the time. This psalm should not be used as an amulet or a St. Christopher medal. It's not a magical thing. Rather, God's promises of an eternal perspective so here's the bottom line. God's greatest desire is for you to be with him forever in the New Jerusalem. God desires a personal relationship of love and trust with you, so everything in life needs to be viewed in that perspective. How will what I am going through right now draw me closer to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of my faith? Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 States, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand the throne of God. There is the 2019 word of the year again, joy. Joy is synonymous with Jesus Christ. Place all of your cares and concerns upon him. Seek joy today and tomorrow. So I ask you today to consider the hills in your life. What challenges are you contending with? And as you stand at the base of that hill looking up at it, where is your security? Do you think the only way you will get up to that hill will be by your own strength and merit? Or do you find something else to do that will make you feel better for a little while? Or do you place your faith and trust in the one who will not let you go? On the one who will not slumber or let your foot be moved. Let us pray.
This message is so very practical and relevant and hopeful because the Lord knows you are quick to despair. He says over and over, I will keep you, I will help you, your foot will not slip. And you will not finally fall because I am your God. And I made the heavens and the earth. And I will be your help. It is the steadfast love of the Lord that sustains. It never ceases, but it is replenished every dawn. We need this message as we raise our children, as we think about walking in integrity in our jobs. Whether your sleepless nights are filled with tears and prayers, diaper changing, caring for an elderly parent, or paper writing. How do you respond when you feel slighted or slandered against? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God is with you with all of the energy and grace you need. Don't forget him. Look at him at any hour, in the light or in the night. Yahweh's guardianship means that he ensures our perseverance because he constantly watches over his own. Amen.